0: Hey church, Pastor Dom here. I just wanted to say on behalf of the pastors and the elders of our church, uh, welcome to our new normal. Uh, We hope that even today, as you've begun to meet in homes uh, on a Sunday, you might be beginning to get a sense of just what God might have in store for our church. Uh, We as a leadership are beyond excited. I'm also very excited to be opening uh, His Word together uh, and to hear God speak to us The chapter of scripture that we're looking at together today is John chapter 16, and that was something we actually had planned uh, for this Sunday well back, uh, I think even back to last September. But we really couldn't have picked a better chapter in light of where we are as a church and really where we are uh, in our world. I don't believe in accidents. God wanted us to hear from this very chapter in our gatherings today, and it could not be a more timely word. And so, Southwest, I, I hope you're expected as we come to hear from Him. My hope is as we come to this passage that we are a captive audience to the Word of God. We always ought to be, but I think with everything that's going on at the moment and meeting online like this, there's, there's something in Jesus' promise to His disciples that really speaks to our moment. And I pray that we would hear it, that we would trust it, and that we would obey it. Uh, just some quick admin before we begin. Keep your Bibles open at at, at John chapter 16. Um, Just a friendly reminder um, to to be using your own Bibles, uh, to be using a journal as well if you want to jot along some notes in light of not having a bulletin. There are also sermon slides to follow along to that are on the Google Drive in the resources folder. Uh, This is the place to kind of follow along in in light of not having an outline. Uh, Feel free to pause this video right now so that you can pull those slides up, and I'll be telling you when to hit next, so keep an ear out for it. And also, if you haven't had a chance to read through all of John chapter 16, why don't you give this video a pause right now as well, and maybe either you or somebody in your group can read it out together. Okay, with all that out of the way, um, would you pray with me as we begin? Gracious Father, we come to you ready and expectant to hear you speak. We thank you that you are Lord over all circumstances, in times of sickness and in times of health, and that even now... You are in absolute control and have a purpose for things we might not be able to explain. We pray that in this moment, our minds, our hearts, and our desire might be to hear you speak to us so that we might be obedient to your word, so that we might grow to love you and our neighbor better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, our society is in chaos at the moment, isn't it? I normally don't like to make uh, big generalizations like that, but so much of what we've seen in the last seven days has been utter chaos. Some of it has been kind of lighthearted. The other day, one of our Bankstown members was telling me that uh, his in-laws came around and dropped off some toilet paper for them. Very limited resource. And as he was helping his father-in-law reverse out of the driveway, uh, what happened was an unmarked police car drove in, blocked off their driveway, just to check whether they were fighting over these toilet paper rolls. Uh, Jody the other day also showed me a post of uh, some people turning their uh, kitchen floor, the tiles, into a treadmill. Uh, it came with instructions. Step one, get some dish soap. Step two, pour it on the floor in your kitchen or really any smooth flat surface. Step three, wet the ground and spread the soap around. Step four, hold on to something as your handles for dear life as you begin your run on this diy treadmill as you can probably imagine the videos were hilarious and it actually looks like they're using a treadmill but it all hasn't been fun and games has it the panic of bulk buying necessity goods have left those who really need it without Our supermarkets, our public transport systems look like scenes from a horror movie because of how empty they are. There are those even here among us who are on the verge of losing their jobs, maybe their small businesses, if that hasn't happened already. There are those stuck in countries that aren't their homes waiting for the next safe opportunity to leave. Some of you here have had to postpone or cancel large significant events like your weddings and your honeymoons. And the government is is only going to step up measures in light of the trajectory of where we are headed. And so it's been a stressful, chaotic, and uncertain time, hasn't it? And just about everybody is experiencing it. And so the question we need to ask today, and it's on the next slide if you want to go to that now. The question we need to ask today is this. How does being one of God's people make a difference in times like these? How does being one of God's people make a difference in times like these? Friends, as we turn to John chapter 16, we see God's people, at least in embryo form for the moment, experience these very same intense emotions. They're grieved, they're panicked, they're far from a time of peace, and they're looking for reassurance. Now, we need to be careful because obviously the source of, of how they're feeling isn't the same as for us, right? For our disciples, our spiritual forefathers, as they're in their upper room and Jesus is speaking to them, their main concern at this particular point is that their master and their friend Jesus, who they've traveled with for the last three years, he's about to leave. And if that's not bad enough, he's leaving them vulnerable, right? From chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus has been speaking about the opposition that his disciples will experience. And And while Jesus has been with them the last three years, he's kind of been their shield. But now that he's going, they're vulnerable. And so the disciples are thinking, where does this leave us? What are we going to do? How are we going to cope with all that's ahead? And so if we're readers of the text, we need to see that the source of the grief, of the anxiety, and the panic for this church yet to be born, it's not the same, right? They're, They're not experiencing some virus pandemic, but yet... While the source is different, the solution that Jesus gives to them, I think, is the same from them to us. And the solution, if properly understood, provides a comfort that is literally otherworldly. What Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 16 shows us the resources that God has given to us so that our grief would turn to joy, that we might take heart, and that we may have peace as we live in the world around us today. And so as a bit of a roadmap for our time together, we're going to look at two main points. The first point is this, to equip us, we are given the gift of the Spirit, and we're going to be looking from verses 5 to 15. And the second main point is to equip us, we are given the love of the Father in Jesus' name. And we're going to be looking from verse 16 to the end of the chapter. And so with that out of the way, uh, let's begin at our first point. To equip us, we are given the gift of His Spirit. Go along to the next slide to follow along. Really, from verses 5 to 15, Jesus spends time telling His disciples, expanding on what He's just saying to them in verse 7. Uh, Verse 7, Jesus speaking, He says, Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good I am going away. Because unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go I will send him to you. In Jesus' opinion, it's a very very good thing that he is going away. But yet, we often don't think it's a very good thing that Jesus ha- is gone, right? Using the language of verse 5, it's not a good thing that Jesus has gone to him who sent him. In fact, we often think about it in the exact opposite. We we think that the fact that Jesus is gone, it's kind of a pretty terrible thing. We go, wouldn't it be great if, if Jesus were here? If Jesus were here, things would be sweet. The virus would disappear. The anxiety and unrest would stop. Evangelism probably wouldn't be so hard. Revival would break across the world all at once. Following him wouldn't seem so difficult. But it's interesting that Jesus himself, he doesn't share our opinion. He says it's for our good that he goes away back to the Father. Why? Well, uh, because of at least three reasons. And it's all to do with the work of the Advocate, the work of the Spirit. And so if you go along to the next slide, we'll see that the Spirit does a confirming work. You see, friends, in Jesus' understanding of things, the Spirit will confirm the work that Jesus has begun. He'll confirm the work that Jesus has done. Where do we see this from the passage? Well, read verse 5 with me. Jesus challenges his disciples and he says to them, None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. Now, it's a bit of an odd comment for Jesus to say, especially because Peter actually earlier in the evening was asking that exact question. Back in chapter 13, Peter asked Jesus, Lord, where are you going? For Jesus, though, Peter's question was never really asking where he was going. His question was more asking about why Jesus was going. Uh, One writer compares Peter's question back in chapter 13 uh, to one of a little boy who expected to spend the day with dad, but suddenly he can't anymore because his dad has to go to an emergency meeting. And so the little boy will go to the dad and he'll say, Dad, where are you going? The question there isn't really about where dad is going. It's more a protest, right? The boy is really asking, Dad, why are you going instead of staying with me? You see, for Jesus, the disciples have missed the point. Instead of caring about why he was going, Jesus wanted them to understand where he was going. Because if they did, they wouldn't be grieving as they are. If they really understood where Jesus was going, the cross, if they really understood why he was heading there, if they really understood what going there would bring for the world and what it would bring for them, they, in verse 6, would not be filled with grief at his leaving. See, Jesus' going is about Jesus' exaltation. Yes, it will go through the cross, and yes, it will go through death, but it will end in resurrection, it will end in ascension, in being enthroned and exalted at the right hand of the Father. And the disciples will know that this is true because of the Spirit. It is for your good, Jesus says, I'm going away. The Spirit's presence is going to confirm that I have gone to the Father, that I'm reigning now. And so the Spirit confirms that Jesus has gone back to the Father and is reigning. The Spirit confirms that this new age has begun. And that's a very, very good thing. All the disciples could do was to see what was immediately in front of them. They had no clue. They couldn't comprehend where Jesus was going. But if they knew, if they properly understood, everything would have changed. But Southwest, we know, don't we? The Spirit came only after Jesus was sitting on His throne, exalted, not a moment before. And so even in this pandemic, because we have His Spirit dwelling in us, we can be completely sure that Jesus is sitting on His throne, ruling and reigning. And we need not be afraid. It's precisely because Jesus is glorified that the Holy Spirit is in the heart of Christ's people. The Spirit confirms what Jesus has already done. And so it is for our good that he is with us. If we go along to the next slide, because the Spirit doesn't just confirm, uh, the Spirit also does a convicting work. He does a convicting work. Uh, read verse 8 with me. We see there Jesus saying, when he comes, when the Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, when the spirit comes, he will do more than work just in the lives of believers. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong in some pretty big arenas, which for the writer are those who are in opposition to Jesus, right? Just like a cop car, siren flashing behind you, or if you've been speeding, the spirit will do his convicting work about sin, because verse 9, they do not believe in Jesus, they thought people thought they were fine without Jesus, and the Spirit is going to show them that they're not. The spirit will also do his convicting work about righteousness, verse 10, which I think is about Jesus' righteousness. The spirit will convict the world's belief that Jesus isn't righteous. The world believes that Jesus is worth killing. But because Jesus has gone to the Father, that vindicates him, and the spirit will convict people that Jesus' righteousness is right. And so the Spirit will convict the world that they're in the wrong, in their sin, that Jesus is right in his righteousness. And the Spirit will also convict about judgment in verse 11. Just like the Spirit convicts the world's belief that Jesus isn't righteous, the Spirit also convicts the world's wrong judgments about him. Right? The, the world judged wrong when it came to who Jesus was. They thought he was a blasphemer. They thought he was, he was due to be crucified, even though he was a good man. The devil judged Jesus wrong as well by what happened and what took place at the cross. He thought that he defeated Jesus there. The Spirit convicts the world that their judgment, like the devil's, needs correcting. But the aim of the Spirit in all of that as he convicts the world in sin, righteousness, and judgment, that's not to showcase a guilty verdict. Right? God already knows where people stand on their own. The point of the Spirit doing a convicting work and a proving work is for the one convicted to ask for mercy from God, because only that will save them. Southwest, it's easy to think in our moment that nobody wants Jesus, that that right now everybody's so preoccupied with their life, everybody's just in survival mode, people are frightened, nobody has time for Jesus, right? It's easy to think, well, why bother with church? Why bother with Fresh? Why bother with any ministry? I mean, if society is shutting down, why don't we shut church down as well? If we need to self-isolate, why, why bother with going online like this? We'll just come back later. The answer is this. Why we are continuing? Why are we're still doing this? Why I'm speaking to you through a camera? In every season, but especially in times of hostility, in sp- especially in times of suffering and fear, the Holy Spirit will do His work of convicting in the world through His church. It's always been that way. Uh, The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians, he, he tells the church that the gospel came to those in that city of Thessalonica not because of their words as apostles, but also with power because the Holy Spirit was doing a convicting work. And just in the next verse, those in Thessalonica welcomed the gospel in the midst of severe suffering with the joy that was given to them by the Spirit. And so, friends, it is for our good that we are not left to ourselves to do the work of convicting. On our own, we we might be able to reach people's ears if we try really hard, but we're not going to be able to reach people's hearts. The Spirit not only does a confirming work, He also powerfully goes before us in His convicting work. And so we've seen the Spirit confirm, he convicts, but thirdly, part C, he continues the work of Jesus. Let's head over to the next slide. These verses can be difficult because a lot of what Jesus says here is uniquely for the ears of the disciples. Verse 12, the disciples in their present state, they're bewildered and can't cope with what Jesus wants to tell them just yet. Verse 13, the Spirit's going to guide the disciples to all truth there are things that are currently blurry and confusing for them, right? They don't get why Jesus has to leave. They don't get why Jesus has to die, why Jesus has to go to the cross. They don't get that Jesus will rise and go to the Father. He doesn't, they don't get what, how God's going to use them. All of that currently is unknown, but the Spirit will make that truth and significant and significance clear to them when the time comes. He will tell them what is yet to come. And so we need to be careful how we read these verses, but within these verses, we see something really important about the work of the Spirit. It's that he continues the work of Jesus. Right, verse 13, what does the Spirit do? The Spirit will speak not on his own. The Spirit will speak what he hears. What about verse 15? The Spirit will receive from Jesus what he will make known to us. Throughout this biography of um, the Gospel of John, Jesus has said multiple times that he doesn't speak on his own. He only speaks what the Father wants him to say. Everything that Jesus has said in his ministry has, on his time on earth was perfectly aligned to God the Father. And now the Spirit, as he comes, as he guides the disciples, as he guides us, he won't speak on his own either. He will depend completely on what he hears from Jesus for what he has to say. Just as the Son obeyed the will of the Father, so the Spirit obeys the will of the Son. And so the work of God in the world does not stop. It continues and it expands through what the Spirit does through us. So back in chapter 14, Jesus doesn't call the Spirit just an advocate. He calls him another advocate because the Spirit will continue to do in the lives of the believers what Jesus began. And so Southwest Jesus' ministry, therefore, it's not done. It's not finished. It began with the disciples, and it is multiplying over and over again through the continuing work of the Spirit. Jesus has not forsaken us. Jesus has not left us. By the Spirit, Jesus is continuing to work His purposes in the world through His people. The Spirit's work has spread to every continent on the globe. There are countries and islands we have probably never heard of where there are people that call Jesus Lord. The work is not finished. No virus can stop him. Jesus' work will continue till he returns by the continuing work of the Spirit. Now, to summarize what we've said in this first point, Jesus equips a fearful church with the gift of the Spirit. And it is such a good gift that Jesus describes it as for our good that he would leave so that we might have him. And we saw three reasons for why it was for our good. The Spirit confirms the work of Jesus. The Spirit goes on to convict the world. And then the Spirit continues the work of Jesus. And so there was a lot in there. I know it was kind of dense. It's a very full-on passage. So why don't you hit the pause button in a sec on your screens and go over to the next slide to have a chance to discuss through some questions that are there. If God has equipped His church with the gift of His Spirit, maybe you can discuss some ways you could make the most of this gift, particularly in a time of self-isolation. And the other question to think about is, how might the gift of the Spirit in us bring an otherworldly comfort to the believer? Fantastic. I hope you had a chance to discuss some of those questions together. I'm going to move on to our second point now. Uh, To equip a fearful church, we are given the love of the Father in Jesus' name. To equip a fearful church, we are given the love of the Father in Jesus' name. Uh, The main point, really, uh, we're going to be looking at is from verses 23 to 28. But before we get there, uh, we'll have a look at some of the verses in the lead up to that. So Jesus in verse 16, he says, In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Which means that in a little while, he's going to the cross. And after a little while, the disciples will see him again after the resurrection. But that point of conversation, it's all a bit much for the disciples, right? The disciples are thrown into a bit of a tailspin. They're all confused in verses 17 and 18. They're asking, what's Jesus talking about? What does he mean by a little while? And what does he mean by he's going to the Father? They're completely lost. No wonder Jesus says back in verse 12 they couldn't handle hearing any more from him. And then Jesus in verse 19, knowing their confusion, repeats the whole a little while and after a little while again. It's all a little bit repetitive, but all this is building up to and fro is telling us that John, the author, really wants us to see Jesus' departure to the cross in a little while and his return from being raised after a little while is super important to everything that Jesus is saying. Jesus goes on to explain further in the next few verses. Verse 20, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. I can imagine the masses that called for Jesus' crucifixion, they would have been rejoicing, right? That Jesus had finally been put to death. That The Jewish authorities were planning for this for long periods of time and they were looking for an opening. For them, that was their moment, so they're probably rejoicing. And at the same time, the disciples would be grieving. But Jesus adds and speaks to the disciples and he says to them, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And he then unpacks what that will look like using this picture of labor and childbirth. Right Now, it's always a little scary to speak about pain related to childbirth, obviously, because not only do I have no idea what I'm talking about, not having a child, uh, but also, obviously, I'm never going to experience that pain. And so I'll go on Jesus' authority here. But the point of the image seems to be when a woman goes through labor and there is a healthy child that is born, it is precisely the thing that causes the pain that leads to the joy. You get that? It's precisely the thing that causes the pain that leads to the joy. It's not like an illness, right, where the illness is bad and then what makes it good is the recovery. No. Jesus is saying like childbirth is precisely the pain that leads to the joy. And so as Jesus looks ahead, uh, just in a little while, to his death and his resurrection. He isn't saying, I'm going to the cross and that'll be bad, but then I'll be raised and that'll be good. He's not saying that. Jesus is saying, no, it's the actual cross. It's, it's the grief of the cross. It's the agony of the cross. It's the pain of the cross. That will be your source of your joy. It uh, you might not feel like it, but Easter's just around the corner. Right? And, and that's... Kind of the reason why we call it Good Friday, right? It's not just the Sunday that's good. Friday is good as well. What Jesus endures on the cross is what leads to joy for the disciples and joy for everyone who believes. And that joy, as we see in verse 22, dear friends, that joy cannot be taken away. Just a quick side point on that. A significant reason why our joy cannot be taken away is because the agony of the crucifixion and the victory of the resurrection, they are events that are etched into history. And that's important. While Jesus, you know, he's trying to console his disciples, he's trying to comfort his disciples as they're grieving, as they're hurting. That doesn't make it that Jesus is telling some sort of fib. This is Jesus, right? He's not giving false promises of comfort in this moment. The unshakable joy that comes from understanding that Jesus, what Jesus would go to achieve on the cross is so foundational for the church that Jesus would tell the disciples about this joy even before he's gone to the cross. Christians throughout the centuries, in sickness, in plagues, in wars, in disasters, in lack, in poverty, in unemployment, they have known a joy so deep because they know that at the cross... Jesus just didn't deal with one disaster. He dealt with the heart of all disasters and problems. Our separation with God in our place for our joy so that it can be never taken from us. And and because of that, believers share in a deep joy. That can't be shaken, that can't be moved. But coming back to the passage, uh, Jesus gives us another reason why their grief will turn to joy. And that is the Father's love. The Father's love. Read verses 23 to 24 with me. In that day, so he's speaking after the cross, Jesus says, you will no longer ask anything. Right? The disciples were asking Jesus all sorts of questions. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus continues, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Because In my name for Jesus means on the basis of what he's about to do on the cross. And so the disciples can't ask on the basis of what Jesus is going to do until he's done it. But once Jesus has gone to the cross, he's telling his disciples, you can ask the Father in my name on the basis of what he will do, paying for the sin of mankind on the cross. And then you can ask and receive and you'll have complete joy, verse 24. Because verse 25, I've been speaking figuratively. But the time is coming when you'll get it. It'll become clear for you. And so in verse 26, Jesus says, you will ask at that time in my name on the basis of what I will do on the cross, Jesus says. "You You will be able to pray to the Father. And then look what Jesus says. Jesus is saying, I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Jesus isn't saying, uh, it's not like I'm the nice one who who will ask what you are praying for on your behalf. This is not some sort of corporate hierarchy where Jesus is like your manager and then he needs to take your annual leave request to the big boss, God the Father, for you in your place. No, verse 27, we see the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believe that I came from God. Did you hear that? God is not some reluctant father whose whose arm needs to be twisted uh, by Jesus so that your requests can be heard. The father himself loves you. He's not withdrawn from you. He is absolutely unwaveringly for you and loves you. In fact, to get your head around this, The love of the Father is the fountain of all the love that God has for you. We might get that Jesus loves us, but even that love comes from the love of the Father who sent him. God the Father is the source, the origin of all the love of God. And in Jesus' name, the Father willingly wants to hear and give to us. By the way, maybe you've noticed, that's why at the end of praying all the time, we say in Jesus' name, That's not some magic formula. It's just exactly what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 16. We get to pray and call God our Father, and we can talk with him in Jesus' name on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. Having the ear of the powerful is a desire that the ambitious often have. They want to have the listening ear of the powerful so that their voice and their opinions can shape and influence things. Having the ear of the president, having the ear of a CEO or a government official, that can be a powerful thing. But that pales in comparison to having the ear of God, the Father. And in Jesus' name, on the basis of what He's done, friends, we do. Now, obviously, that's not something we ought to abuse. Right, The fact that we're praying in Jesus' name on the merits of what he's done and accomplished, means that we're not to be praying for things or anything that our hearts might desire. We're meant to be praying in line with the desires of Jesus' heart, not our own. And we pray that our hearts might become more like his. But hear this, Southwest. Because Jesus has gone to the cross, because Jesus has done for the original disciples and for us what we could not do for ourselves, this can now happen. We can pray in his name. We can know God as Father. We can know his love for us. And so friends, if I can make a suggestion, and I'm borrowing this from something that I've heard, when we're next fearful, when we're next anxious, when the ripple effects of this virus get close to our hearts, it might be worth going outside for a bit, taking a walk, Obviously, keep the physical distancing precautions, of of course, but say something like, and I'll use my name here, Dom, the Father himself loves you. He has loved you from all eternity. He loves you now. There is no moment, no nanosecond which his disposition towards you is anything but pure, unchanging, and perfect love. And he will love you to all eternity. There is nothing that you can do that will separate you from that love in Jesus' name. Now, if you were to go out and walk and say and remind yourself of that truth, I'd be really surprised if at the end of that, you don't feel at least a little bit more joyful. See, Southwest, the Father loves you. Why? Because He just loves you. And so even in these frightening times, you can know that the love of the Father for you, if you belong to Jesus, that will never change. Now, of course, at this particular point in time, as Jesus is telling this to the original 11, they, they don't get it. They can't grasp it, right? We won't look at it, but verses 29 to 32 kind of just show how much they don't get it. But they don't, it's all understandable, really, because Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet. It, it shouldn't make sense for them on that side of the cross. But we're on the other side, aren't we? And so we can. The church has been equipped with the love of the Father in Jesus' name in these fearful times. The church has also been equipped in these fearful times with the gift of His Spirit who confirms, who convicts, who continues the work of Jesus. And so the Lord Jesus in His final words to this little church that is yet to be formed before He goes to the cross, He chooses to end what He says to them with verse 33. Read along with me. Verse 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble but take heart, I have overcome the world. And that is good, good news. Friends, every Christian simultaneously lives in two places. That's what verse 33 tells us. On the one hand, we are in Jesus. And on the other, we are also in the world. And as we live in the world, we will have trouble. There will be all sorts of sorrow, all sorts of anguish. That shouldn't surprise us. But because we also belong to Jesus, because we are in him simultaneously and kind of strangely, we can have peace. Because we belong to Jesus, we can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world and that's what he did by going to the cross. And so we can live in this sort of tension, even now. And so I want to ask, what might that look like to live in this tension, in this time? How does it look like to both be in the world, but also in Jesus? I want to suggest, to answer that question, that we need to have an appropriate level of fear, but we don't need to be overwhelmed by that fear. Yeah, that's over in the next slide. I want to suggest that we need an appropriate level of fear, but we don't need to be overwhelmed with that fear. See, we need to be wise, we need to be discerning. We need to have an appropriate level of fear, We don't want to be putting ourselves or others in harm's way deliberately or out of ignorance by belittling the instructions that we've been given by authorities. We need to be doing all we can to flatten the curve as much as is in our control. We do it for the sake of others as we love them. We we do it as citizens of this country. We need to have an appropriate level of fear. But as citizens of a heavenly kingdom, because we are in Jesus as well, we don't need to be paralyzed. We don't need to be overwhelmed by that fear. We don't need to buy all the essential goods that we see. We don't need to fight. We don't need a clamor. We don't need to hoard. While we should physically withdraw, we don't need to socially withdraw from people. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the world. We're not putting some some just brave face on in this time. There is a peace that we have because we are in Jesus that transcends understanding, because we've been equipped with the Spirit, and we know the love of the Father. One way we can put into practice not being overwhelmed by that fear uh, is to use this form that we've put together. Right, uh, this is also in the Google Drive in the resources. You can print that out on your own. You could also uh, come to Kingsgrove. Uh, let me know if that's what you want to do. We've got some printed out already. And you can pretty much fill this out and put this in the letterboxes of your neighbors. On the form, all all it is is um, a quick hello to to your neighbors, an opportunity to put your name down, an opportunity to help those who might be self-isolating. You could help them pick up shopping, you could gather supplies, um, you could be a listening ear of the phone, you can suggest something else that you might be able to do, and there's a a place there to leave your contact details so that if your neighbors want to take advantage of that, they, they can call you, they can reach out to you. That's just one way, it's just one suggestion of how we can have an appropriate level of fear but not be overwhelmed. Maybe today, even after church, that's something you can do. Just go for a walk in your neighborhood and do a bit of letterbox dropping that you can do in response. Now to close our time together, uh, I've got a quote for us to read. Um, it's on the slides as well. And it's a quote that is written by an author called A.W. Tozer. It is a kind of long one. Um, So bear with me, but I think it's a timely word for us. uh, And I think it's something we need to hear. And so follow along with the slides. A.W. Tozer writes, Surely, Bible-reading Christians should be the last persons on earth to give way to hysteria. They are redeemed from their past offenses, kept in their present circumstances by the power of an all-powerful God, and their future is safe in his hands. If we are called upon to suffer, we may be perfectly sure that we shall be rewarded for every pain and blessed for every tear. Underneath will be the everlasting arms, and within will be the deep assurance that all is well with our souls. Next slide. A fear-stricken church cannot help a scared world. We who are in the secret place of safety must begin to talk and act like we are. We above all who dwell upon the earth should be calm, hopeful, buoyant, and cheerful. We'll never convince a scared world that there is peace at the cross if we continue to exhibit the same fears as those who make no profession to Christianity. Friends, I hope that that's something you agree with. Jesus has given to his church the gift of the Spirit, the love of the Father. And so would we have peace, would we take heart, because Jesus has overcome the world. Amen.